This match has come to a quick and unfortunate end for Andy Murray fans. However, this is a big day for Yoshihito Nishioka, who was able to pass the 2012 US Open champ. Josefina, the match isn't over yet. What do you mean it's not over yet? Nishioka just won 6-4-6-4. Don't you remember that Grand Slam's men's singles matches are played best of five sets? Murray still has a chance to come back, and don't count him out just yet. He's got hips and nerves of steel. Hello everyone and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for tween, teen, and other young tennis fans. We're your hosts, Shravya and Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Shravya and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the young female voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for. So we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Alright guys, today is September 3rd, 2020, and welcome to another edition of Hold On To Your Racket. If you haven't already, go follow us on Instagram at Hold On To Your Racket and Twitter at Hotter underscore Tennis Pod. Yes, go do that now. (laughs) As you go and follow us on social media, round two and the US Open are just about wrapping up. That is correct. And before we get into the latest news from the USTA Blazing King National Tennis Center, we do have a um, more disheartening news story from the tennis world to share with you all. So you may have seen this already, but uh, Carlos Suarez Navarro, a former top 10 WTA player, um, has been diagnosed with cancer. And she announced this on social media on September 1st, um, saying that she has Hodgkin's lymphoma. And you know, she posted a video, it was really sweet, and it, it was definitely very hard to watch, but it seems like she's known for being a fighter, so we hope that she recovers, but she's going to require six months of chemotherapy. I know a lot of players have been reaching out to her, wishing her the best of luck in her recovery. One of those players is actually Garbina Muguruza, who is also from Spain, and she de- dedicated her first round win to her. What she said was, I for sure will dedicate this win to her because I want her to feel that we are behind her, that I am behind her, and I will go and see her at some point when it is fine. So it's great to see that players on tour are also supporting Carla on her recovery, and we also are doing the same. For sure. Now, we also have another headline from, actually, this is now in the Beijing King National Tennis Center, moving back to U.S. Open news. Um, and this is about the Benoit Pair 11. Josefina, can you tell us a little bit more about the Benoit Pair 11? So the Benoit Pair 11, first of all, that sounds like the name of a band. <laughs> <laughs> it's not probably not the kind of band you want to be in. You'll figure that out soon. But yes, it does sound like a band. Yeah. <laughs> so the Benoit Pair 11 are the people that have been in contact with Benoit Pair who actually tested positive for the coronavirus recently. And they are the kind of the 11 people that are considered the bubble inside of the already made U.S. Open bubble. So these people have extra precautions, extra procedures they have to follow on the COVID guidelines side because of their exposure with the coronavirus to Benoit Pair. What's kind of odd about this story, and it's creating some controversy or talk, is that 
If you remember back to the Paya Delian thing, where their physiotherapist tested positive, um, they had to they were taken out of the tournament and had to quarantine for fourteen days right away, which is what it says in the USTA guidelines. You know, they're taking the correct precautions, but. For these players, these 11 players, and those 11 players include Benoit Paire, um, the USTA changed the waiver. They amended the waiver that the players signed to alter the guidelines for them and alter them so that those players wouldn't have to be immediately withdrawn and would instead just be confined to a bubble instead of the bubble and have more um, safety precautions in place. So this is what is stirring up some drama or um, some controversy, including from Guido Paya. Yeah, I feel every time something new happens revolving around the COVID-19 in the USTA, or the US Open, I guess, they do add more precautions and guidelines that we didn't see coming before, and they seem to be justified, but also I feel like they should be consistent, because it is true, I completely understand what Pei is saying. Yeah, Pei was saying that he's he thinks that this is unfair treatment compared to the Benoit Pair 11, because Benoit Pair was able to get a second COVID test right away. But Paya's physio wasn't given a second COVID test right away. And the Pair 11 still get to play, except, of course, Benoit Pair. But Paya and Delian obviously um, didn't get to. So it's, it's what people are annoyed about is that the USC seems to be bending the rules for these 11 players now that it's the US Open, it's the main draw. These are more, typically, uh, for the most part, more higher-ranked players or um, seem to be. So that's why people are annoyed again about the communication issues and the lack of clarity. And the word is that this lack of clarity was one of the last straws for Pospisil and Djokovic to form the PTPA. Yeah, this issue definitely highlights some bias issues like within the USTA and US Open facilities about having higher ranked players like not kicking them out immediately even if they did test positive or if they were exposed. So, yeah, this def- this problem definitely highlights even more problems about what we can do in the future in Grand Slams and other tournaments to kind of protect ourselves, not ourselves, but obviously the people at the tournament from the coronavirus. So, one of the, this, <laughs> this is also, there, this Benoit Pair 11 story just never seems to end, so there's more. Um, there were internal documents from the U.S. Open released um, that listed all the those other 10 players, and most of them f- were from France, but they kind of have, like, two tiers of players. So the first tier is, like, those who were um, in much closer contact to Benoit Pair, and there was a couple who were still considered the bubble instead of the bubble, but don't have to follow as strict precautions because they weren't as in close contact with him. And one of them happened to be Daniil Medvedev. So, Daniil Medvedev, obviously we know him as last year's runner-up runner up at the U.S. Open. He actually denied being one of the 11, of the Benoit Pair 11. And, but Zverev, Alexander Zverev said that Medvedev was one. <laughs> but, I mean, Zverev is one to talk, considering he's been known to break COVID protocols throughout quarantine. And, I mean that in the, sassy, in the least sassy way possible. It's just true. That's what the facts are. And yeah, I guess it's just a com- it's just a complicated situation because you see some of these players not taking the pandemic seriously whatsoever. And then once something like this happens, they're all like like everything 
breaks loose and they're it's just as if as if suddenly the pandemic exists exactly and like you guys saw what happened at the adrian tour so many high profile atp players clearly really didn't care about the pandemic until now it's becoming this whole issue and it's involving the usca the formation of the ptpa it's, it's just a mess and yeah and Actually, something else that I wanted to add is going back to something we mentioned in the last episode was that they have chips in their credentials. I think that's something that has helped the USTA actually right now in this Benoit Pair 11 situation to track who has been in significant contact. So I guess that's maybe where they got the Benoit Pair 11. Yeah, that's that's one um, plus that, you know, the system, that part of the system at least seems to be working. It's a sticky situation for everyone. Um, Benoit Pair's second COVID test did come back negative, so that's made things even more complicated for these players, and they're annoyed about that too. But at the moment, especially in New York at a tennis tournament, it's the most important path for the USTA and for all the players to take those precautions seriously and make sure they're in place. Moving forward into something a little more fun I guess and upbeat about the U.S. Open because you know the U.S. Open's not all that bad there's still good things going on in the bubble um so there like I mentioned in the last episode the IBM U.S. Open fan cam they've been putting screens around the bigger stadiums and it they kind of created a virtual fan base since there are obviously no fans at this year's U.S. Open they've let fans basically sign in virtually to cheer on their favorite players but not only fans also family members of the players friends of the players so that even the players can get their support that they need yeah and we actually noticed some really funny um player moments with this virtual players box on arthur ash stadium uh, Novak Djokovic was surprised by his wife and his family after his second round win over Kyle Edmund. Um, Karolina Muhova was, this This is one of the ones I thought was so funny and was so surprised. After she beat Venus Williams, Rebel Wilson came on and apparently Karolina Muhova and Rebel Wilson are friends. I didn't know that, but they are. I mean, are. that's like um, quite a friendship right there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um... Oh, yeah, and uh, Josephina, I know you saw, you were talking with me about uh, Osaka's oh, visit. Oh, yeah, Osaka got a visit from her mom after her match, and it was it was a surprise. Osaka was not expecting it, which was obvious from how she addressed her mom during that. <laughs> <laughs> she started with, where's dad? <laughs> I thought that was so funny because this co- whole conversation went like any conversation between a mother and a daughter would. It was kind of like confusing, a little all over the place, but also filled with love because obviously Osaka was happy that her mom was there to support her. Yeah, and then her mom held up like a piece of paper with like an emoji message and Naomi kind of like translated the emoji message afterwards at a press conference and it was like the first line said, good job. The second line said, less social media, more rest. The fourth line was, drink green juice. And then the last line was, I love you. And then she oh. ended the she ended the player visit by being like, okay, mom, I'll call you back later. But it was, <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah, it was. And also, the thing about the paper where she showed the emojis, what was funny was that while it was on camera, while Osaka's mom was showing it on camera, 
the U.S. Open actually blurred it out. Oh, yeah, I saw that's that. that's kind of, like, an automatic feature they have so that nobody gets, like, insulted in the middle of a match by a piece of paper. <laughs> but I thought yeah. that was funny. Another sweet one was when Zverev, um, Alexander Zverev got visited by his brother, Misha Zverev, who was also known on the tour, actually, and he was just there to support him after his first-round match. So, obviously, the U.S. Open fan cam is a nice thing that the U.S. Open has done this year in order to kind of normalize the experience of having no fans. One thing I did want to add about Alexander Zverev is we talked in a previous episode about how Naomi Osaka was saying that her hotel room is right outside his or right opposite <laughs> his and that he's usually shirtless. If you guys have been watching the coverage um, on ESPN or wherever of Arthur Ashe Stadium matches, you can see that since a lot of the players have those private suites there, the seated players, they come out um, to sometimes watch matches. And literally every single time, if you see Alexander Zverev watching one, he is not wearing a shirt. And I remember a really funny moment where I think uh, Felix Aureliasim posted on his Instagram story um, a video of him. I was like, come on, Alexander, just put on a shirt. So um, <laughs> I think that's what everybody's thinking by this time in <laughs> yeah. at the US Open. And let's not forget that Alexander Zverev was one of the players at the Adria Tour who were dancing shirtless at a crowded nightclub where um, they were breaching social distancing guidelines. So something about Alexander and Zverev and shirts just do not mesh. I don't know if you knew this about me, Shravya, but I'm a huge fan of the Back to the Future trilogy series. I did not know that. (laughs) I guess the point of this is the plot of the second movie, which is where the evil guy gets a sports almanac from the future to use it in the past to gamble on future matches. So my point is, I wish I had one of those right now because I have no idea what's going to go on in this year's US Open. (laughs) I know, both of the sides, ATP and WTA, I mean, sure, you have Djokovic as the wide favorite, Serena and Osaka, but it is definitely up for grabs. Yeah, I mean, especially the first round really showed that on the ATP side, especially because we had so many matches where it seemed like somebody was definitely about to win. And then all of a sudden, the opponent just comes back and wins the entire match in five sets. So these players came back from two sets down, meaning they had to win three sets in a row to win. Some of these players were when Kachanov defeated Sinner, Chilich defeated Kudla, Garen defeated Blanche, Nori defeated Schwartzman, and Rude defeated McDonald, and Korea defeated Jung. So, like, there is so many matches like this, which just made the first round so interesting on the ATP side. And one of the hugest matches was when Murray defeated Nishioka 4-6-4-6, 767664. The match was insane because obviously it looked like Nishioka was about to win. At the end, Murray insisted on having an ice bath. He said, They have one in the locker room and they said it's for emergencies. For me, this is an emergency right now. My body hurts and I need to recover as best as possible. And that's especially true since he's actually playing Felix Auger Eliasim right now as we speak. And he really needed to recover from that five-setter. That was a four-hour-and-a-half match. So just imagine the toll that takes on on the body. Yeah, and speaking of um, crazy things happening at the U.S. Open, Serena Williams has broke yet another U.S. Open record. 
Um, in her first round win, she broke Chris Everett's record for most U.S. Open match wins, male or female. Um, at, and this was her 102nd win. And in the press conference afterwards, um, actually, Josefina sent me this, that Serena said, I feel like every time I come here, I'm being told I broke another record. And honestly, that's kind of true. Just, like, the status she has at the U.S. Open is just insane. Because she can just walk around knowing she owns the place. Because everybody knows she does. And she's, yeah, she's breaking all the records every year. Yeah, now we're going to talk about some top seed upsets on the ATP and WTA side. There were plenty on the WTA side, but there was really only one that stood out on the ATP side. Josefina, do you want to talk about that all-Canadian matchup? Yeah, it was Raonic versus Pospisil. Pospisil has actually been in the news lately thanks to his <laughs> connections to the PTPA, which is a player organization made kind of a union against the ATP. We, don't, against, we don't really know. I shouldn't say that. Full yeah. disclaimer, we're still, we, like, we still developing yeah, it. We, we're still figuring out what it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw a tweet, I mean, though, we, on the mm-hmm. after Pospisil won against Raonic. The U.S. Open tweeted, anything is pospisil instead of possible. Oh, yeah, I saw that, too. <laughs> They're just coming up with so many, like, little, like, what's it called? Puns, I guess, yeah. to the players' names. It's just great looking at the social media right now. But we decided to mention this match because, obviously, Raonic, he was a runner-up in the Western and Southern Open last week, and he was playing really well there. So we actually expected him to go far in the U.S. Open, but unfortunately, Bashik Pospisil stopped his run, and Raonic is out, unfortunately. Yeah, on the WTA side, we had plenty of upsets. Most notably, number one seen Carolina Pliskova lost to Caroline Garcia straight set, 6-1, 7-6. She was a little salty in her press conference after her match, not going to lie. It was, <laughs> I mean, understandably so. And some of her um, best lines were, I'm not a robot, so I don't have to play everyday amazing. And But anyway. I love how you did that with, like, the accent, <laughs> like, like, sassy accent. <laughs> and then she also said, but anyway, I think I didn't play that bad. Maybe you saw a different match. So... I mean, she cleared it up on Twitter later, but um, tough loss for her. Christina Mladenovic, she was a number 31 seed, so I wouldn't have considered this a top seed upset until you look at the score and what the match was. She was up 6-1, 5-1. She had four match points at 5-2, I think. She lost that set in a tiebreak, and then she lost the third set 6-0. Uh, Klarsina Mladenovic is one of the pair 11, so maybe that, um, pair 11 thing is giving her bad luck, but, I mean, she has an opportunity to bounce back, she's the number one seed in doubles, so hopefully that won't happen again, um, Muguruza, the number 10 seed, she smashed her racket so hard that the whole entire head came off on court 17, she lost to returning mom Svetlana Perankova, um, seven five six three, and let's take a moment to celebrate all these moms in the U.S. Open because it is pretty awesome. Just know that when you said she smashed her racket, I did not know that personally. Since you guys can't see us, just know that my jaw dropped. Literally, <laughs> I can confirm that. Uh, the last uh, main upset was Johanna Conta, the number nine seed, losing to Serana Kirstea. It was a competitive three setter, two six seven six six four. Conta was another one of those players who we thought might make a deep run given her performance at Cincinnati, but unfortunately, it's not going to be the case this year. Yeah, and 
you know, there are players looking good, obviously. The ones that beat those top seeds, they have to be playing at their best that they've ever played. And other players that are looking good, especially in the ATP, we're looking at Djokovic. He has a 24-0 winning streak. He is undefeated in the year 2020, which is kind of insane when you think about it. Because imagine if he makes it throughout the whole year undefeated. I'm pretty sure that is unheard of in the tennis world. So definitely he's somebody to look out for. And also Tsitsipas, he has a chance because his section of the draw is kind of open, kind of one of the sides that's more the winner is up up for grabs. So definitely be looking out for him because he's also playing really well. And he is one of the top seeds right now. And Medvedev, he is last year's runner-up and... Obviously, the champion is not playing this year, but he is somebody to look out for because he is playing well. He has been playing well since last year. Maybe there's just a mishap with his playing in last year's final, but it was he's still playing really well. Also, Taylor Fritz, he's a young American. He's been playing also well. He's going to be playing Shapoval of the quote-unquote night train he's known as now which I found pretty funny this was that in last in Shop Evolve's last match he um they played his song he said that in the post-match interview that they played his song when he won yeah so I guess maybe he's getting some exposure but he said he appreciated it so I guess that's nice So, going on to the WTA side, Naomi Osaka has been looking great. She had that left hamstring injury that um, didn't allow her to play in the final of the Western and Southern, but it's unclear how the leg is feeling, but, I mean, she looked very much in in control of her second match. Serena Williams has been able to get two straight set wins, which she hasn't really been able to get this season. Uh, She'll face Sloane Stephens next, and she's in a packed quarter with Madison Keys, Maria Sakkari, um, so that's going to be interesting. Sophia Kennan is going to have an Aussie Open rematch against Ons Jabor, and that's uh, Kennan has been playing well despite her early exit in Cincinnati. And Victoria Azarenka, she's actually playing right now against her um, fellow countrywoman. Oh, she just won, actually, 6 1 6 3. So she is looking definitely amazing, and she could face her double par- doubles partner, Sophia Kennan, in the quarterfinals. As far as. Um, our dark horses. Um, there's a couple of Americans, Jennifer Brady, even Amanda Anisimova. They're looking pretty good. Um, Angelique Kerber, we talked about her in our previous episode. Um, she's looking pretty good. And Owens Jabor as well. Was really great at Cincy. Had a great slam run at the Australian Open, which is obviously also hard courts. So um, maybe she'll make a splash here as well. Yeah, there's definitely a bunch of interesting, I mean, many interesting things going on in the draws this year and you know we also have some tiebreakers our tiebreakers are basically where we choose some matches that we think would turn out to be interesting good ones to look out for and actually this time we're going to choose who we think are going to win so it's really a gamble so for me really spicing it up this time (laughs) yeah we are we're being pretty funky (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) um so for mine, I'm doing ATP singles. I'm choosing Shapovalov versus Fritz. Both are North American youngsters. One is from the U.S., the other is from Canada. And they have both been making an impression on the tennis world ever since they've started. And they're both expected to do great things in their careers. Honestly, personally, 
me, I'm going, I think Shapovalov's going to win. Because the thing is that I feel like he's had more experience in larger matches. I don't know, but I've heard more about him when it comes to Grand Slams. And actually, he stated in a post-match interview recently that he's been working with a psychologist over quarantine. And you kind of see him, if you watch his matches, in the middle of changeovers and between sets, you can actually see him meditating. He said that he's visualizing his match, so I think that's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, this pretty is cool. yeah, this is something new that we haven't seen from him yet. Because if anything, if anything was stopping him from being really great, it was his mental game. But now, if he's got that down, I think he's definitely somebody that can go very far. Yeah, it's good that he's kind of recognizing that that's an area he needs to sort of work on, and working with a sports psychologist can definitely help. Um, for my ATP tiebreaker, there were so many good third rounders. I really encourage you guys to check out the draw for tomorrow or the schedule um, for the next two days. These are some awesome third round matches. I picked Bautista Agut versus Pospisil. Um, Pospisil looks great today. Big win against Milos Raonic. He seems to be compartmentalizing the PTPA stuff pretty well. Um, <laughs> but um, RBA, obviously he played great at Cincy. Um, getting to the semifinals there. He always seems to do well at the U.S. Open, and he really does have a great opportunity in this quarter. And I just think that his experience, his sort of great run leading up to this, and um, his greater consistency in doing w- better in the slams is going to uh, make me predict him for the win. Nice. So now we're going to move on to our WTA tiebreakers. For me, I chose Jennifer Brady versus Caroline Garcia. Obviously, like you said, Shravia, Jennifer Brady is one of the dark horses that we're looking at in this draw. She has been playing very well, and Caroline Garcia is another very good player. So I'm actually going to say Jennifer Brady for the win because it seems as if she's had more exposure, meaning like more support, if you know what I mean, in the match. So she could be more fired up, and I think... I think she could do well because this is also her home court since she is American. I agree with Jennifer Brady for the pick there. And um, for my WTA tiebreaker, I have picked Amanda Anisimova versus Maria Sakkari. Um, Anisimova is the 19-year-old from the United States who reached the Roland Garros semifinals last year. There are a ton of teens in the WTA draw, which is pretty awesome. But Sakkari has looked, looked great at Cincy. This is their first meeting. Both pulled off great three-set comebacks today, but I think Sakari is just more physically um, fit. She's been playing so well the past few weeks, and um, she has some great potential to make a good run at the U.S. Open looking at her section of the draw. There's a lot of great players there, but she's one of them, um, so I'm predicting Maria Sakari for the win. So let's transition to doubles. I know Josephina and I like talking about doubles as well. Um, my ATP doubles tiebreaker is um, Juan Sebastian Cabal and Robert Farah versus Jean-Julien Roger and Horia Takao. Cabal and Farah are the current defending U.S. Open champions. You guys might remember that um, one of their sons came out onto the court during the trophy ceremony, which was pretty adorable. Um, and they're also the 2019 Wimbledon champions as well. Roger and Takao have also won two Grand Slams, Wimbledon and U.S. Open, uh, different years, obviously. Um, but, you know, for me at least, um, Cabal and Farah, they're the defending champions. They obviously do well on these courts, so I'm going to go ahead and predict that the Colombians are going to take it. For my 
tiebreaker, the WTA doubles. I'm choosing Nicole Melachar versus Zhu Yifan, which are the number three seeds, by the way, versus the team we like to call Mikoko, which is Katie McNally and Coco Goff. So this match, it's a good matchup, obviously, because I know Coco and McNally, they've been making a lot of, they've been making an impression on the tennis media, especially considering how young they are and how far they're making it. They did do well last year also, but of course, we're looking at the number three seeds here. They have a lot of experience. They are the Western and Southern Open finalists for this year, and it's, I think, I'm predicting also Melashar and Yifan because they, like I said, they have more experience in the field and obviously they have been chosen as number three seed for a reason. But of course, there's always a chance for an upset and we're totally open to see that happen. Welcome to the Tennis Ball Frizz Quiz, which is where Shravi and I play basically trivia against each other, and then at the end of each tournament, we get an overall winner, and that winner is called the Tennis Ball Frizz Quiz Whiz. Shravia, how about you start this time? Um, so my question is, during World War One, what was the 1917 U.S. Open known as? Your options are A, National Patriotic Tournament, B, Stars and Tri- Stripes Championships, C, the Allies Championships, or D, the Freedom Tournament? What was B again? Stars and Stripes Championships. Um, okay. I'm gonna say A. You're correct! It was the National Patriotic Tournament. It was only five days long from August 20th to 25th, because um, obviously pro tennis was totally different back then. But yeah, during the during World War One, that's what the tournament was known as in Forest Hills. Wow. Well, lucky me, I guess. <laughs> okay, let's see if you can match me up with my question. <laughs> Roger Federer holds the most consecutive U.S. Open titles in the Open era. He won five in a row, 2004 to 2008. Who broke his streak in the 2009 final? A. Rafael Nadal B. Juan, Juan, Juan Del Potro C. Novak Djokovic or D. Marin Cilic I'm pretty sure it's Del Potro. You are right. Woo-hoo! Oh my god, we are tied again. Okay, funny story about tying. So, last year, Josephina and I were in summer camp uh, at tennis, and we told you about the sort of Davis Cup type of thing that our coaches like to do. It was that, and Josephina and I were opposing on opposing teams, and this was the last match <laughs> of the day. So hot outside. And, and very high pressure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure very high goes, pressure. Our coaches were yeah. intense, um, even though it wasn't even like that intense of a camp. Um, <laughs> and we were tied at four all, and they were like finished the game, and Josephina and I, oh, we were having a good match actually. We just looked at each other and we were like, "Let nope. we do not want for it to be someone to just lose or like, you know, by one game. So how about we keep it at a tie?" And we agreed on that. And Josephina, tell them what happened once we told our coach that we were um, tied. Well, obviously, considering this was so high pressure and apparently this was like a life or death match, they were upset. But what are you going to do? Because here we are. We've salvaged our friendship. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And they were like, 
the the reward for like winning matches or whatever at our camp is like raffle tickets they do a raffle at the end of each week and our coaches were like well you guys aren't getting any tickets then and we were like okay (laughs) so keep (laughs) them thank you so much for joining us and that is game set and match for today if you like this episode please let us know and stay tuned for more We'll be providing you all the coverage of the U.S. Open and more as professional tennis returns. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions, and please leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and will be on Google Podcasts soon. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore tennis pod on Twitter. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. That is, if you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't like it, please tell your friends my name is Tom and Shravya's name is Bob. See you next time.